The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And hello and welcome to Podcast Beyond episode 634. Good heavens, that's so many episodes. My name is Max Scoville, filling in for Jonathan Dornbush, who could not be here today. And I'm joined by Brian Altano. And hello! Hello! Yay! Woo. Here we are, Beyond! Beyond! Beyond. Woo. Wonderful time to yeah. be alive. Everything it's great! Is, everything's great. Uh, anyway, so let's, uh, let's talk about some stuff that's going on here. Uh, Jonathan... Started to prepare a show and I didn't do a very good. I'm doing the the, the flustered substitute teacher, to teacher thing here. Uh, I just will put on a video. Let's yeah. watch Jumanji. We are gonna have a <laughs> it'll be like primary school. <laughs> yeah, in Wellington, yeah. New Zealand. Twister has science in it, right, gang? Um, no, no, a little no, bit. no shit. That's what they used to do. They just used to plonk us in front of a, a t- like a VHS tape. Yeah, yeah we had no, the, no, the, yeah, we had the two. That's why I made that reference. Yeah, our science teachers drank sometimes too. <laughs> they would come in on a Thursday and be like, "Yeah, today we're watching The Mask of Zorro." <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so, uh, just full disclosure, uh, if we seem flustered, it's because we got an email immediately before we started recording about the spread of a virus called COVID-19 and how, you know, I don't know, different offices are handling things differently and that everyone should wash their hands and cover their mouths when they cough, but not cough into their hands. And, you know, it's just, it's just a little weird to go from that into talking about like what, what, you know, what Crash Bandicoot had for lunch or whatever. Um, how are you guys? Good. I, I don't really care what he ate as long as he washed his hands before and after. I've become a little bit obsessive compulsive with with washing my hands now. It's becoming like a nervous tick thing. I've got like one thing of hand sanitizer and I'm like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like a obsessive compulsive. Yeah. No, I'm not typically like a fussy, like, you know, germaphobe person, but it's like, it's a creepy time out there. I'm, I'm, I've been washing one hand and then not washing the other and I'm going to see which one wins. Mm, dance mm. with the devil. It's, it was weird walking to work today because the streets of San Francisco are so empty. Mm. Just very empty. So on sort of a positive pivot there, speaking of like weird streets with not enough stuff in them and the spreads of various plagues and whatnot, uh, we shot our first episode or episodes of Jonathan's big, huge Bloodborne Let's Play. Mm -hmm. Uh, All four of us sat down together and uh, had a really good time. It was very fun. um, I don't know when exactly we're going to be putting that up, but I'm very excited to... We we talk about this this game constantly on the show and... Warning, we probably will again, but uh, I, I think that after playing so much of it, uh, I kind of forgot how much fun it is in group settings to also watch other people be really good at it yeah. or not good at it and then get better at it or get good at it, as they say. Um, I think that's a sort of element of it that I 
kind of uh, for, forgot about entirely because it's been such a sort of selfish, shut off the lights, sit at home, play by myself kind of game yeah. for me. Um, aside from the, like watching a few Let's Plays here and there. But like sitting in a room with a bunch of friends and having a few beers and eating some pizza and, and uh, watching Jonathan get good at this game has been awesome. Uh, and I think you guys are going to really, really like it. Thank you so much. To everyone who pestered us to make this show for so long because we're finally doing it and it's all thanks yeah. to you. Yeah, you inadvertently signed a petition that we took to the, the mayor of IGN and we said, let us make this show. And they said, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah so honestly, <laughs> if there's anything you want more from us in the future, uh, just ask a lot and we will we will make it happen. Yeah. Also, like the weird thing is we all like sit around talking about games together, but for the most part, I feel like we don't really see each other playing games a lot. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't, we don't sit around at a desk playing games with, with a few exceptions. And like, there's a handful of people who are like hardcore good at stuff, and some people uh, I maybe aren't great at all, or don't play at all, or who knows. But I won't, I won't, you know, throw them under the bus. It's me. I'm bad at them. I'm bad at the games. But I, I don't know. Is Jonathan good at games, or is he bad at games? You'll have to stick around to find out. It's very anyway, good. let's get to the news. Uh, big, huge news here. I don't even know if we're allowed to talk about this game anymore. It used to be a PlayStation exclusive, Horizon Zero Dawn. Luckily, we got our big discussion about that out of the way because it is coming to PC. How do you guys feel about this? I mean, you know, I could provide a joke answer, but the real answer is that I feel that's this is great. This is great. I mean, Horizon's a couple of years old now. Uh, most people who are PlayStation obsessive have already played the hell out of it. Uh, I love that PC players uh, are able to play it. I think it's going to look gorgeous on a PC. Uh, and, yeah, I think that, like, it's a, it's a very cool thing to see Sony do this. I mean, I don't think it's going to become the norm. Um, Herman Holst in his uh, interview on the Sony blog said that it wasn't going to be, like, this isn't the beginning of a new era of every exclusive also coming to PC. I mean, Sony doesn't really have the the infrastructure for that like Microsoft does. Right. Uh, I think that, you know, they still very much want PlayStation exclusives to be PlayStation exclusives. And I think that uh, those who are PC only may actually like really discover that uh, PlayStation exclusives can be awesome and, and maybe, you know, flop towards that system or the PS5 when it comes out. So I think it's only, it's 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 a good thing. It's yeah, very positive. I'm totally with you. My, my philosophy on this from day one is that this will sell more PlayStations. This will get people embedded into these stories and they will, they will go, oh, Horizon 2 is coming out. I'm not going to wait three years for it. Um, and they'll jump on it. Uh, that said, the turnaround time for Death Stranding coming to PC is a lot shorter than the Horizon uh, PS4 to PC mm-hmm. uh, convergence there. So you're you're looking at what that's probably seven, eight months from Death Stranding launching on consoles to it coming to PC this summer. Yeah, that's about right. Um, so that's, that's the kind of thing where if you were on the fence of buying a, a PS4 for what, what one of these you know would-be exclusive system sellers... With a turnaround time like that, maybe you'd hold back a little bit. So I don't necessarily see that being the most beneficial for their hardware division. Um, but if you are if you have to wait three years to play Horizon Zero Dawn 2 or whatever, you're probably going to want to buy a PS5. And so that's what it's ultimately funneling back into that. Whereas Microsoft's philosophy is just like, wherever you play our games, if you see our logo, that counts. It's mm-hmm. points on the board. Yeah, so, they don't care where you play it. Yeah. I think it's very interesting that the two sort of, I mean, we, we knew that Death Stranding would be coming to PC eventually, but the fact that that and uh, Horizon Zero Dawn are both running on the Decima engine, which, you know, Guerrilla Games built, which I, I feel like this might wind up being like Sony's big sort of flagship engine moving yeah, forward. And totally. That maybe putting it on PC is... Uh, 
I don't know. I, like I can't, I have this I have this hunch, and it's totally just a hunch. I'm basing this off of nothing, but that they might open it up to like to license out to people and be like, hey, do you want to make an open world game? Mm-hmm. Boom, here you go. Because uh, I feel like I don't. I mean, you know, you can get like a you know, like a, a what is it, Crytek Engine or Unity or, or Unreal, Unreal. Engine, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those all are sort of open to the public to start making games in and fiddling around with. But uh, I don't. Are any of those super well suited to? open world games i don't i don't know how games work exactly i mean a lot of under uh, the hood a lot of open uh, open world games are built in uh ue4 which happens fairly often it's like th- this though like decima is mm-hmm. is stunning yeah like it's it's on a whole another level um yeah so i find that really interesting i think I think that communication will only help. I'm totally with you on that. Um, I think that the reason that there was some backlash over this is a childishness because people tether to a plastic box and fight for it to the death and exclusives are the ammunition in the console war. But uh, it's also because we haven't had any tangible good PlayStation five news yet. Period. Yeah. And, and I so think we're, I, yeah. that is the reaction. I, I, I understand a little bit more. It's like, Especially for those who are very, very, you know, brand loyal and 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 are, are dying for something from Sony, it, it it does kind of feel like okay, so that's one of your PlayStation exclusive games is heading to PC. Like that's great, but can you please give us something else to be excited for as a PlayStation owner? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Throw, the, that that audience, this audience, us, you listening, we need Sony to throw us a bone at this point. Yeah. Like we're at, we're at like peak speculation territory. There's now articles coming out all over the industry from people saying, you know, Microsoft is dominating the next gen con- console talk, which is not hard to do when you're the only one talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think we're all just sort of like, give us something good, not well, just like this thing that we liked three years ago is going somewhere. We else. did get something good. We got some great news to sort of change subjects here. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima has a release date, which is June 26th. Yep. Uh, I just suddenly got much more excited for this game because it seems just it seems achievable. And it seems around the corner, yeah. 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 And it, it's I don't know. It's I've I, I've lost track of which games are actually coming out when they were supposed to, and which have been kicked ahead a few months. Totally. But. And this this was a tentative summer, you know, air quotes title for a while, which means nothing in the video game industry. Sometimes that means like the middle of September, you know, like it's sometimes it just, it just doesn't happen at all. Um, so this to me means that we'll be playing this this summer and if it gets delayed, then we'll be playing it this fall. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's almost here. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we've sort of got Sony's lineup now and it's, you know, for, for the PlayStation four, this one song year. And I think uh, what we're going to see is, all of those games are going to come in the first half of this year. Yeah. And then the second half of this year, I think that's when they're going to properly double down on PS5. And that's when we're actually going to start hearing hearing news. I, I mean, I can't really fathom any other reason for their silence beyond not wanting to kind of dominate the conversation when they're so heavily focused on their exclusives in yep. the first half of the year. I'm totally with you. Yeah, we we theorized in the show about how weird it almost was that that sort of like baton handoff between PS4 to PS5 was so neck and neck and, and stacked with PS4 games that like the idea of like coming up for air in the fall playing Ghost of Tsushima and being like, oh, do I, do I need to buy a new system? Why? Yeah, like this. This is going great for me. Like you, you kind of need, 
you need to give people stuff early on this year or through the middle of the year and then take it away. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. There's totally. a huge backlog of stuff to play there, but then you have to start getting people excited for the next-gen system at some point. I'm, I'm very curious to see if whatever Microsoft announces around E3 time, and I'm going to say around E3 time because I'm very, I'm very undecided as to whether E3 is even going to happen this year considering everything that's mm-hmm. going on in, outside of these four walls. Mm-hmm. Um, the ESA has been saying it's, you know, all trucking forward or whatever, full speed ahead, and uh, Gamescom announced the same thing today. So, But obviously Microsoft just announced uh, a, a sort of a couple of talks that they're going to be uh, showing next week that mm-hmm. they were going to show at GDC. So I imagine if E3 doesn't happen, then Microsoft will... Well, I, I don't imagine. I know that this is what... This is, I have complete faith that this is what will happen, is that we will still see Microsoft's presentation in some form or the other around E3 time. So that's going to happen, whatever. Um, and I am very curious to see if that m- may speed up any messaging from Sony or considering the Ghost of, uh, Ghost of Tsushima does hit at the end of June, whether they will sort of start everything properly in July. That's... Exciting to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, though, like the sort of lineup of PS4 exclusives are, it's nothing to scoff at. It's MLB The Show, Neo 2, uh, Predator Hunting Grounds, Persona 5 Royal, FF7 Remake, Last of Us 2, and Ghost of Tsushima. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's not even including Dreams that just came out like two weeks yeah. ago. Or and any of the- Dreams is the, the gift that keeps on giving mm-hmm. as well. I mean, this is a, a massive year for PlayStation. I, I, I'm not surprised that they want to focus on their exclusives because look at that lineup. Yeah, I wonder if this was, I mean, I know it wasn't, but it's interesting that this is now the game plan because I I think that for a long time there were probably like, a lot of these games were sort of tentative for last year or earlier in this year. And I don't think they really expected when they laid all the cards out of the table years ago to be like, this is our year for PS5 for all this stuff to be bumping up against each other so closely. It's a really good problem to have for people who love video games. Um, it's a really good problem to have for people who aren't really interested in dropping 500, 600 bucks on a new console this fall. Because no, like, I mean, we've, we've said that a bunch of times, but being an early adopter kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know? you pay more for something that maybe isn't great at launch and maybe has like a so-so library at first, and then there's always weird bugs and things that need fixing. But if you wait till the tail end of it, it's like everything's cheaper and there's a lot more of it and it's great. Like I, can, yeah, I, I can't mean, imagine how awesome it must be to buy a PS4 this fall. Or get a Horizon on PC. It's like the complete edition. It's got all the DLC and everything mm-hmm. like that. All, all, all the, everything's, you know, all the kinks have been worked out and all that stuff. So um, plus mods, you know, you, yeah. can, you can put Waluigi and, and his big ass in there or whatever, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Thomas so, the Tank Engine butt naked. How do how do you guys feel? Balls. Stop. <laughs> just, just, just shooting stop. wheels of cheese everywhere. Just, just stop. Soaking wet. That's gonna be that's gonna be fun. I really do. <laughs> oh, I'm visualizing that. this. Right. Instead yes. of one of the robot dinosaurs, it's yes, just butt naked. Yes. Thomas yeah, PC out. gaming. You guys are having a good time over there. We like check in on a, those it boys. Was, it was like the scariest. They're not doing too. Hard. Like the scariest RE2 mods, and it was like one of them. They make you know Mr. X just real small. That's he, so funny. And he like comes and he kicks the door down. And he's just like, ah. and he's like. Ah. <laughs> and he still does the same damage, so he comes up and he takes a swing, and then you're just like, Pruh. he punches. But, but, but like, yeah, he punches you, and you go. Flying. Yeah, speaking of Thomas the Tank Engine, that was another uh, Resi Two mod. Yeah, and a great like one. genuinely very sinister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a big old Thomas the Tank Engine. You know, yeah. punching you in the face. He's, he's, scary, he's, it's a he's, scary train. Dudes out here where they put Waluigi in Breath of the Wild, like the first day they got it running, be like, we have the power, here we go, is what we're going to do with this, this new science. We're going to put Waluigi in the game. He's going <laughs> to do match. I want to see what happens to 
that those poor dinosaurs, what they do with them. It's going to be great. It's right? Great time. Uh, so in other sort of exclusive Sony news, uh, it was announced that there is going to be a Last of Us TV show from the sort of writer-creator of Chernobyl, uh, and it's going to be working with, like, Neil Druckmann's going to work alongside with him. Uh, it seems like really just sort of everyone kind of came together on this. Um, what is his name? I want to uh, he- hear the story behind this because uh, Shannon Woodward, who uh, plays Dina in Last of Us Part Two, apparently introduced Neil Druckmann to... Oh, Craig Mazin? Mazin? Yeah. Oh, because she, she's on Westworld on HBO. She is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she introduced them, and I'd, I'd love to kind of hear about those early chats because this guy Craig Mazin was is that how you say his name I don't, sure? I don't know I just hopefully like, really like Mazin um, also if you haven't seen Chernobyl go watch it because it's like it's very amazing. good very good I'm like a huge horror fan and that was probably my, my favorite piece of yeah media around horror last year which was terrifying because there's no monster it's just invisible the, poison the air yeah it's yeah. super creepy and real yeah, but it turns out uh, Craig is also a big fan of Last of Us, and it was this weird kind of one of those like, oh, it's like a nice Twitter romance where like him and Neil Druckmann sort of start tweeting at each other back and forth, and then gradually, I guess, they just sort of actually talking about doing this. Yeah. So what's interesting about this specifically is that this effectively cancels out the long in production hell movie that they were working on that Neil Druckmann openly tweeted like about a year ago when they said like, we have a script. He was like, I haven't seen it. Right. So uh, good luck out there. It was one of those, like it was that, that, that movie was sort of neck and neck with uncharted for a while in terms of like, who is making this? Is this actually happening? This is getting kicked to 15 different writers and directors every six weeks. It was in development hell constantly. Um, and so this I'm will... so pleased they're not making it. That this is the route they've gone down. Me too. Uh, especially in terms of, you know, everyone's a little bit... I understand the concern over turning something like The Last of Us into a, f- uh, a you know, a, a different format because uh, it, it, it works so well as a... This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. 
To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. As a piece of interactive media, particularly uh, when it comes to that sort of end twist where you realize that the character you are controlling spoilers sorry <coughs> sorry yeah massive spoilers uh the character you are controlling uh isn't necessarily the guy you thought he was um and that is a very pow- that was a very powerful moment in the game for me um and you're not necessarily going to be able to replicate that uh in in a show or or a film but i do think that there are so many other avenues that a show in particular could take that world into. Yeah, I think there's a lot more room for uh, world building there. Uh, my concerns are that this, and like you, like you just alluded to, I think if, if you're a huge fan of the game, you have that story already. That story was told to you in the medium that you first received it in. And having that reinterpreted through cinema is a kind of... Cinema. Cinema. You can't say cinema. You have to say cinema. cinema. Oh, is, do you like cinema? Dude, I only watch cinema. Um <laughs> It, it could it could be kind of like weird and off putting because mm-hmm. you're it's sort of that um, well, it's reverse uncanny valley yeah exactly it is I was about exactly, to say that yeah. Yeah, about to say that yeah because all of a sudden you're looking at something and you're like that's not the character that I imagine mm-hmm. the, this is a way you have to do this voice this is the way you have to do this character like people have already been asking for the uh, you know Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker to play these characters and like that doesn't work because that they don't does not so that so and, profoundly does not work yeah yeah they don't Ashley look, johnson is not a kid no no <laughs> exactly yeah and troy baker is not a, he's not a crusty old man mm-hmm. yeah i i mean there's i but i'm still really excited i do think that as a story uh the last of us is one of the very few stories that can actually shoulder uh, an HBO adaptation. Um, I think that it is one of the most, you know, we all know, blah, 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 mature storytelling and the interactive medium. Cinema. Um, cinema. But, like, you know, it is... It cool is... It. It is <laughs> Finner. Stop it. Let's just do voices for the rest of the show. <laughs> cinema. We're getting too silly. We're getting too silly about Have this. you seen the Three Colors trilogy? <laughs> anyway, um, no. I, I only watch Three Ninjas kick back in the cinema. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Rena what was Mac. I saying? <laughs> oh yeah, no. Anyway, it's very mature storytelling. Da 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 da. So I think it's great. And you know, I was I was sort of wondering whether that or not they would actually like focus on different characters. Me um, too. That was my original <clears throat> hope. Yeah. That's like, and we do know there's there's a quote here. This is from like Hollywood Reporter. It said the HBO series will cover the events of the original game, which was written by Druckmann, with the possibility of additional content based on the forthcoming game sequel, The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, and, so and it sounds and like it, it'll be yeah Joel and Ellie's story with yeah. some DLC. It is, and th- we're not like just hyper hypothesizing here it's no, it is no. going to be Joel and Ellie it is and um you know uh reiterated by Craig I'm just going to cough instead of saying his last name um uh when he said that Ellie was going to be gay in the adaptation so we know that Ellie is actually going to be the focus mm-hmm. um yeah I think this this also just one last thing on this I do really think it it, it sort of it's going to be made or broken by its uh core duo like yeah. whoever they cast I think so far a lot of the speculation has been really wildly off um, because people kind of forget that, that that we are focusing on... How old was Ellie in the first game? She was... I think she was 13. I'm probably wrong and I apologize you in advance. Like you're at an auction. I'm just trying, I'm just trying <laughs> to think back because she's, she's 19 in the sequel and that is five years later, if I'm right. Impossible to do that math. We'll have to phone No, 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 but I'm, just, I'm not sure whether it's five years. I'm not sure. Oh, God. I've dug myself a hole. I'm just seeing the YouTube comments pouring down. Um, but she's she's young. What I'm trying young. to say is she's yeah. a kid. You know, she's only just, like, entering kind of teenagehood. She's very, very young. And, and you, I, I, I personally would love to see an unknown in that role. Like, yeah. a, like I mean, a, a lot of people love to do the casting where it's like, who does the character look like? And it's like, well, that doesn't really – the whole point of acting is to behave like someone – else regardless right. of how you might look and you know obviously there's i mean we, we saw this recently with like the witcher casting where people are like that's not my yennefer and then the show came out and for the most part people are like this is actually pretty good this they nailed it they did a good job and also it's based <laughs> on the books um, but i don't know like uh, it's there is of course that that thing where you you, you look at it, whatever the show is there will inevitably be people who are like well i don't know how i feel about it it's not what i wanted uh i Sorry to interrupt. She was she was fourteen, and the last of us part two is five years later. So, just wanted to. Clean no, they'll it up. find something else to get mad at you for this episode. I promise. Okay. Like, I mean, I know, but yeah. yes. Continue. I think you said cinema too many times. <laughs> the show got off the rails. Bring back Jonathan Thornbush. I think. Uh, I think this is going to be fantastic for audiences who have no connection with the story at all mm. i think i imagine somebody coming in and sitting down on a sunday night to watch like prestige television on hbo and getting served like this as a six to eight episode sort of like season definitely um and not 10 episodes like the outsider which what happened guys like that do you guys come on like, that yeah, should have been that should have been six tops yeah right yeah. they really dragged ass on that one um <clears throat> And so I think that's going to be awesome for them. I think people who played the video game are there's going to be a little bit of getting used to there, but I think it I think it'd be okay. Also, right. I mean, the thing that makes the video game so good is the the human moments. Mm. And like the gameplay is also great, you know, but at the same time it's like it's it's those characters are so special because of how much time was spent making them characters. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Like and, no one no yeah. one's when people are talking about the Last of Us, no one's like, "Oh my god, remember that when you just killed all those guys with a gun?" There's pro- I mean, there's Like remember be, that awesome gameplay? Yeah, there's going to be stabbing and there's going to be shooting and yeah. there's going to be all sorts of they're going to but it's not I mean, like, I do I do just to reiterate I, I love the gameplay in the Last of Us. I think it's great. I love that it's very survival horror horror, but I think, you know, the reason that it is so lauded right. is because of good, the story. It's a good story. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. I think it, that um it's going to be weird if the, if there's like a if half an episode where 
where it's just going through kitchen drawers being like, oh, I need ammonia and batteries and toothbrush <laughs> screws, gasoline. Whatever. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have a little throw a little MacGyver in there. If uh, if they're able to maintain the tension that that game has when you're hiding behind something and something stalking you or you're sneaking up on something, I think it'll work really well. The thing I'm interested in is, um, you know, the, the HBO's biggest show ever was Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. We all know how that ended, but I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, that show did a really interesting thing of deviating from the source material a lot, which uh, split the audience in a lot of ways because you had a lot of the book purists be, being like, oh, that's not the way it's supposed to go. And a lot of other people being like, oh, I have no point of reference for that. This is really interesting to me. But I get, I think it kept all, all sides on their toes. I wonder if this show is going to be interested in doing that at all, like deviating from the source material a little I, bit. And- I think you will almost have to just do some stuff to shake things up and to for people who are fans of the game and know it backwards and forwards, like to have something in there that gut punches them the same way that the actual game did when they first played it. Like they want that. And obviously people who are newcomers are going to be like, have something that has like a similar, similar impact, but is a different, you know, different, you can, you can still tell that story, but without the exact same beats. Yeah. Like if you look at the way walking dead did it, where they're like, okay, we have all this source material. This is what's going to happen in this character. There was a lot of stuff that they like funneled in where they were like, this is how this character dies. And it's this gory, brutal, iconic panel in the comic. And in the show, they eventually got there, but they also like let them live for five more seasons than they would have in the book or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like you look at something like Breaking Bad where like Jesse was supposed to be killed off in like the fourth episode. And they're like, we really like him. And they just kept him through the whole thing. Like that could happen here where they adapt a character who dies in the game and he connects really well with audiences and people are like, don't kill that guy. He's my favorite. And then on the show, he just lives for three more seasons yeah who knows so that's i think that's what i'm interested in less so like a one-to-one adaptation of something that i've already experienced right, yeah. right exactly. i i also really hope that they lean very heavily into the horror aspects because mm. people will sort of forget that that game is actually very very frightening did yep. you watch chernobyl yeah yeah so like the thing i really want to see more of that was sort of hard to gamify was the cordyceps like yeah. the actual sense of like infection and like things being fungal and weird out in that in that wilderness and being like i mean obviously it was kind of at its core it's a zombie story but like i mean the way they first teased it was like oh here's like an ant that has like a you know like a fungus like infecting it and like things like creepy crawly things like stuff that makes you like you know want to go wash your hands if chernobyl's any indication i think you'll see people interfacing with sort of airborne spores and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and and stuff that just really gives you the creeps well there's a lot of body horror in chernobyl Yeah, like, and there, in the last there's that one episode that it was burned on my brain. I'm yeah. sure we all know what we're talking about. Yep. What I'm talking about. Yeah, please go watch that show. It's on HBO. Yes. Anyway, uh, moving on, a couple of quick hits here. Uh, Doom Eternal is coming out very shortly. Uh, lots of people are excited to rip and or tear through hell, kick Satan in the ass like you do in that game. Uh, and they just revealed a trailer today, which shows that there is going to be heavy amounts of customization for the Doom Slayer, including completely bonkers, nonsense, ridiculous stuff such as a beautiful pink and purple unicorn costume to wear <laughs> presumably in multiplayer, but maybe in well, general. Yeah, I think that's my, awesome. My first reaction was like, oh, it's a first person game. It doesn't matter. But then the second he put his giant arm and his gun out and it was like bright, you know, white and purple. I was like, oh yeah, no, this kicks ass. Yeah. yeah like, it's also like this, this further connects, connects it with animal crossing launching the same day. <laughs> I think fabulous uh, outfits for yeah. you and your friends to try exactly. on. Like doom guy is always like doom as a, you know, especially in the 2016 sort of, reboot like also sorry doom slayer i will not say it but that's what it's called he's doom guy yeah thank you um uh you know it's it's always kind of lent into the ridiculous and the and the kind of even even a little bit of the cute 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I love that this is an option for people. And obviously, if you don't want to uh, customize your Doom guy, you don't have to. No, I love this stuff. It, it, it shows that they're not afraid to get self-referential and humorous with their own ridiculously over-the-top source material. Did you guys watch that, um, that amazing little featurette on uh, the music in Doom Eternal? No. It's very cool. Watch it if you haven't already. Uh, it's basically like a making of and what the, uh, the kind of uh, sound producer did is uh that's not the night that's not the title of his his job but like the guy looking or overseeing the sound he um he got all mr. these mr music mr music we call him <laughs> he dances a merry jig um he got all of these uh middle like middle front men and women uh into a room and formed this chorus and it's just like it's like it's a 50-50 gender split so it's pretty amazing like it sounds amazing um and all of these like hardcore metal singers are basically doing the music for Doom Eternal. Doom is so great. I love that Doom is a thing that we're we're dealing with. I it's want, like a middle core like a middle yeah. choir. I want that to be like a Siri or Alexa voice where you just get get those people to record a whole bunch of various things. <laughs> No, that's so they can start streaming you to let you know when your Amazon package shows up. Yeah. There I I I love weird video game music that gets experimental and people start playing around with it. Uh, I did like a, a dive in. I think there's a Wired article about this, about the music in Death Stranding, which I, for the most part, was kind of, I thought it was like, it was cool, it was all right, but it wasn't, didn't blow my mind. Uh, apparently they did all sorts of nonsense, like where they were going to Home Depot and buying like old spools and like banging stuff together, but then also using like procedural generation to like have different sort of like waveforms come. I don't like, so basically like, you know the environment would effectively play its own music right for you. right and it's the kind of thing where i'm like i don't know enough about how game design and music come together but it's like it was so cool to be i, I love the practical aspect of it yeah, anytime yeah. you get like you know 70 metal singers in a room or you go to home depot and you buy old tubes and wires and stuff yeah. I've, I've read a lot of interviews with video game musicians mr music specifically um no and <laughs> i'm when, gonna look him up now because i'm doing him a disservice that's that's definitely like a uh, like a, a small town wedding dj um, don't look up Mr. Music. <laughs> Why? Okay, fine. Look Do up maternal, Mr. Music. Mr. Music. I don't, I don't care. What could possibly? It's, it's her phone. I don't care. <laughs> you have the Mr. Music virus now. Uh, anyway, long story short. Diagnosed uh, with Crazy Frog. One of the most interesting things about it is that like, when you're listening to music, it just happens, right? And it crescendos and ebbs and flows and stuff like that. But when that happens in a video game where you just stop walking or running, it has to account for that. Because like, when music swells and builds up and it's like, dun, 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 and your st- guy's just like, it like you look like an idiot <laughs> so they have to figure out a way to sort of like bring things down a little bit and you start running it and it brings things back up so it's very different than just like dropping a three minute track and looping it or something like that it has to kind of work dynamically with what the player is or isn't at all doing yeah uh his name is sorry mr music's real name is mick gordon and he's an aussie oh and he's the composer for Good what here doom eternal Oh, I thought you were looking up if there was a real Mr. Music. That well, Mr. Music is Mick Gordon. That's not. No one calls him that. We no one. That's <laughs> not Mick Gordon. I'm no. trying to figure out if there's a Mr. Music out there. You're just, doing real. I you're wanna, doing real I research. To, I want to apologize. Wasting my to time, Lucy. The, Come on. The people in the comments who were just furiously, angrily typing Mick Gordon into the comments because a lot of people really like his music. And He's great. He's yeah. great. That's what I'm asking. He's I want like, to know if there's a real Mr. Music. <laughs> Is he's married. Mick Gordon, the real Mr. Music? We'll is there a Mrs. Know. Music or a Lil Musy? Okay. We, okay. I w- <laughs> anyway, uh, this is something that probably oh. I only am the only one who cares about, but we got a teaser for a new Worms game. Do you guys remember Worms? 
Yeah, I don't know if that's I, gonna come to PS4 yeah. or anything. It's like a little PC game where you make the worms throw grenades and stuff at each other. That'll probably come to PS4. I had a grand time with that old game back in the day. That was a good local multiplayer experience. You could throw bananas, sheep, all sorts of nonsense. What anyway, else? What else was going on for you that summer? It wasn't great. It wasn't great. A lot of things could have been better. Anyway, uh, how many, can you how do, many can Slurpee you, cups did you collect? Can you do your little Max voice when you're playing worms? I love worms. <laughs> I hope my dog doesn't get them someday. I didn't have a dog or friends. <laughs> I'd like trick people to come over to my house and I'd be like, do you guys want to play Worms World Party? They're like, do you have Worms Armageddon? I'm like, no. <laughs> and I'd be stuck with Worms World Party. Anyway, <laughs> speaking well, of games that people do party. care, stop that. We have Neo 2 as... Luckily, uh, he's the one person that counts. So I don't want to do... I don't want to do... This is a terrible time. Anyway, Mitchell Saltzman just amazingly enough reviewed Neo 2, an exclusive PlayStation 4 game where you do all sorts of sword stuff and jumping. It's hard as hell. And Mitchell's going to join us in just a moment. We've got to take a quick break and wheel out the TV like the substitute teacher used to do when they were hungover, or the real teacher was. Anyway, we're watching Jumanji after this. Stick around. You guys like worms? Stop it. And we're back. And we are joined now by Mitchell Saltzman, who just completed his review for Neo 2, which went live on IGN as of recording this literally three minutes ago. Mitchell, what'd you make of Neo 2? Uh, I liked it a lot. I gave it a nine. Um, I think it is... Better than the first one um, in the ways that it evolves a lot of the aspects of Neo that were already really good. Like the combat is amazing. They they added this Castlevania-esque uh, aspect of it where uh, every enemy you kill has a chance of dropping their, their soul core. So if you played Aria of Sorrow or Dawn of Sorrow, you know what, what that's all like. Um, so you can pick up uh, their own moves and then basically equip them to your own uh, loadout, so to speak. And it's just really fun to be able to experiment with that level of, of depth in the combat. Mitchell, I spent, um, I spent like 100 hours grinding for those things in those Castlevania games. So that sounds really, really good. Yeah. So did you do awesome. a thing where you're running in and out of the door like 100 times to kill the same thing to make them drop one card? No, no they don't, I don't. Well, actually, you might be able to do that. I feel like the, the drop rates are, are a lot higher than they were in the Castlevania games. So I don't envision people having to do that all that much um good to hear <laughs> yeah so so to back things up this is the uh this is the team ninja sort of souls souls born like-esque whatever we're calling it uh the first That's game fair. first game had you playing is sort of a dude named william who was kind of like a samurai type character and then this time around you get to create your own character and it's kind of the same universe uh yeah Will- william um god i forgot his last name but he was based on a real life uh western samurai so to speak uh, who was Tom somehow that, somehow that translated to him being a Geralt of Rivia cosplayer in right. the original Neo? Because he well he wasn't really much of a because you know in Neo two you can uh, it's custom character right so and, mm-hmm. and and I I read your review and and you said that didn't really like it wasn't a massive leap from the first game because William in the first game was kind of like a mute character anyway right yeah and I I even interviewed the director of Neo two and I asked him how that. Uh, was different in having this this mute character versus uh, you know William, and he basically said it's not that much different because <laughs> William didn't really talk in the first one that much. <laughs> what was what was your character like? Like what did you uh, play? I I created a, a female. She had a, a really cool eye patch that uh, ultimately when I ended up having like a full ninja setup, it was really cool because it was like you know all this was covered, so. I don't know. It, it reminded me. It reminded me kind of like uh, Kakashi from Naruto. <clears throat> Very nice. 
Uh, yeah. So, like, obviously, the game has uh, you've got sort of different weapons that are kind of affect how your how your build kind of comes together. Uh, what were your what were your sort of likes and dislikes? How do you how do you think it all kind of compared to the first first time around? Uh, very similarly to to the first one. There's two new weapon types. Um, you have the switchglaive, which is the one that I use primarily in my in my playthrough. Um, and then you have, I believe, the dual hatchets, which I didn't really get to to mess around all that much with. Um, but the unfortunate thing is that each weapon is so different from the from all the others, and they and they all scale differently with different stats. That you, unless you reset your character you you don't really get a chance to experiment with all the different weapons um so most of my experience was playing with the the switchblade which was amazing uh like yeah tell me tell me why because i gotta say um it's you know both brian and i have kind of been mucking around with with neo 2 uh i didn't play the first one really at all i played maybe 20 minutes the first one so yeah no i didn't play it um Mm -hmm. But, like, one of the things that really struck me was that there was just such an enormous amount of uh, customization and, and, and in terms of, like, your weapon selections and uh, obviously uh, when you transform and, and what, you're, what you choose in that regard, what build you choose in that regard. Um, how, did you, how did you kind of go about selecting what you eventually selected? So... The switch ga- the switch glaive I picked because it was a new new weapon that I wasn't familiar with from the first game, um, and also it scales with magic, which is another aspect of the first game that I didn't really get to experience. So I wanted specifically to see how how Omio magic worked in Neo Two, and uh, it turns out it's really helpful. I don't know how I would have gone through some of some of these tougher boss battles without some of the debuffs and buffs that you get from the the magic tree. Um, oh, that's really that's awesome! What, I think I, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna what, try to build my character out like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna start again because <laughs> I had I had the thing where you where you walk into the first cave area and there's there's basically just icons all over the floor and you're like, oh, where do I start? What do I do? Who should I be? And there's all those weapons, which like um, to like to get at what you were saying before, like uh, having to reroll the character. I kind of look at that and I'm like, oh man, that's crazy. But then I realized I've done that in Bloodborne a bunch of times. Yeah. Like you have a different starting weapon each time. The difference is in that one, you can basically pick up different weapons throughout the game. So did you feel like you were married to one specific weapon through this game? Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, and, and maybe it's just because I was I was scared to jump out of my comfort zone because I I got so comfortable with the switchblade and I think one of the important things to to emphasize is that every single weapon in this game has its own like gigantic skill tree, um, and if you pick up a new weapon, then you you basically start over at at square one and you have to you you gain more skill points the more you use a weapon, um, and event, eventually it. You know, you have to use a weapon for a very long time in order to get that extra skill point once you get deeper and deeper into it. Um, so, yeah, I kind of did feel married to the Switchglaive. Um, it's a great movie. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, the thing I really liked the, about the first game was the sort of um, the way the environments uh, felt. They felt kind of lived in. They felt uh, almost real. There was like, especially that first area in, in Neo. And I played, I played probably about 25 hours of that game. Um, I really liked it. Uh, that sort of mixed with the enemies, it kind of ramped up in craziness as, the, as, as further you got into the game. Do you get a lot mm-hmm. of that in this game? Like, did the enemies get weird and creepy? Do the environments get big and sprawling and interesting? They definitely get weird and creepy. Um, yeah, I think 
it's actually one of my smaller complaints with the game, but I feel like there's a, a lack of cohesion in the theme sometimes with some of the levels because you'll be going into a level and it'll be like, okay, good, great. There's uh, a bunch of human enemies. It's going to be like mostly a, a human enemy level layout. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's like one or two yokai and then you're back to human enemies and then you're fighting yokai for like, you know, 30 minutes. And then <laughs> there's a couple sprinkled human enemies here and there. It's like, it almost just feels like someone reached into a toy box of enemies and just kind of sprinkled them all over the level. Right. Yeah, um, I, I kind of picked up on that uh, fairly early on in the game where I was like, this. it sort of feels scattered. Um, whereas like other Soulsborne games, it feels a little bit more deliberate in their item placing. It feels a, bit, a little bit sure. more like they are where where you would imagine they'd be in this horrible fantasy nightmare world. Yeah, I totally agree. So I didn't play. Uh, I didn't play any of the first game. So I, I jumped into this for a minute and just like, like literally, barely spent any time with it. I should have spent more, but I was definitely like, "What am I? What am I doing here?" There's always that kind of feeling of jumping into a sequel without having played any of the previous one, where no matter how much you're paying attention, you still kind of feel like you might maybe miss something. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any suggestions for like somebody who's coming to this completely fresh? You gave it a nine out of ten. Obviously, that's a that's a some high praise there. Uh, yeah, but it's you know it's a difficult game. Like, do you have any kind of pointers starting out? Yeah, and I I want to sort of reiterate like there are so many, especially when it comes, and this is a good thing. Like, this is not a criticism at all. Um, there are just so many different uh, move sets to learn, um, and there are so many layers upon layers of systems. Uh, what yeah, what is your advice to sort of parsing those as a newcomer? Uh, yeah, I'm actually working on a video that's like going to be 15 essential tips to surviving Neo Two. Um, and usually we do 10, but I feel like I have to do 15. Just because there's so many in this. <laughs> that, there's probably going to be even more than that. That um, says I a lot. The, the, the biggest thing with this game is that you have to learn the keyhole system, which is um, you every time you, you attack, basically your, your stamina goes down, but then it starts to refill. And if you're able to hit R1 right before the, the meter like catches up with the end, then you get that stamina back. Oh, so it's got that sort of like Gears of War active reload thing. Yeah, sort of. That's that's a good like comparison to it. Um, so every the longer your combo, the more you have to wait in order for you to you get uh, to get all your stamina back, and you have to learn that because otherwise you're going to be starved on on your your stamina. And if you run out of stamina in this in this game, you're basically dead. It's just brutal because not only can you not do anything, but you actually the more you try to do something while you don't have stamina you'll the longer you'll be stuck in that you know that state yeah i noticed um that the main character can kind of overexert themselves pretty quickly and if you try to just mash through it it doesn't work yeah it makes it worse <laughs> yeah no it's like trying to go to work on like 2 hours of sleep or something like that it's yeah the dominoes keep falling um did you find that system sort of like distracting as like one extra thing you had to pay attention to on top of all the other stuff that's happening within the combat? Cause the combats were like really quick. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely is something that you have to pay attention to. I actually really like it because I think one of the things that sets Neo apart from, from other souls born or, you know, souls like games is it's pace. Um, a lot of other games are, are deliberate and kind of methodical because the stamina meter forces them to be you you can only you only have so many hits before you have to kind of back away right and and recover but with neo if you master the keyhole system you can stay up in enemy's face pretty much as long as you want um and you can kind of dash back and forth to avoid them 
And it, it leads to a really exciting fast pace of combat that is very risky, but also very rewarding um, if you can pull it off. No, that rules. I noticed early on in the game, there's a lot of um, what looks like PvP, PvE op- opportunities. Uh, you mm-hmm. can summon things that'll just immediately whoop your ass in like the first area <laughs> of the game. What's up? What's yeah, up with the remnants? Yeah, yeah. What's what's up with that whole system? Yeah, um, it's it's kind of like Dark Souls' uh, summon system, where you can summon people into your game, and you can either fight with them or you can cooperate with them. But because Neo is primarily a single player experience, uh, you are instead summoning the AI ghost, so to speak, of of other players. So when a, when another player dies, they drop this this sword gravestone, uh, and everything that that person had equipped is is on that revenant. So and you can actually get the stuff that they have equipped by killing them. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, yeah. so it's like it's like in in, in Bloodborne, the sort of the, the shadows of people running around. If you actually had to fight those, yeah. yeah. Okay, and it's, it's I usually dig that. completely I was, optional. Okay, that totally confused me because I definitely was like, "Who's th- who's this new friend, and why are they here?" And they showed up and just immediately beat my ass. And I was like, "Well, that seems yeah. like an odd thing to put at the very start." But I guess I should learn my lesson. <laughs> yeah. Also, like you know, like kind of like all these other games, it doesn't it tells you a lot, but also doesn't tell you anything at all at the same time. And so this mm-hmm. game wasn't out yet at the time of this, and I I was like, "Are these the developers?" Because <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> I'm, I was like, "Are these characters from the first Neo who I'm unfamiliar <laughs> with?" I don't know. Anyway. Um, um, so yeah, like you, you obviously really liked it. Uh, how would you say, in terms of difficulty, it, it falls in this general spectrum of, of Soulsborne experiences? Because oh, you're, you're you tough. are you are very good at games. Yeah, you're like well, thank you. You're but, one of you're one of our A team when it comes to that. Think about like the <laughs> the common plebe playing this game, just but, a real town fool. But also, like uh, I guess one of the things, one of the reasons why you were so perfect to review this game is is you're not only very good at games, uh, but you also seem to have a uh, a very firm grasp of like fighting games specifically and the move sets that are required for you to be good at fighting games. And and I like as I was playing through uh, Neo 2's tutorials. I was like, you know, I've really, I've got to like memorize these because, you know, I, the, the, this is a notoriously difficult game. Uh, did you, you sort of find yourself relying on any in particular and not using, or did you kind of like, were there some that you relied on and then you sort of discarded the others or did you find yourself mo- uh, using most of the moves that were, that were available to you? Um, there were definitely some moves that I, I kind of forgot about um because yeah like you said there are so many that you get over the course of of the game and uh a lot of them are very situational like Mm -hmm. there's a couple moves that if you use them just out of nowhere you're gonna get hit out of it and you're it's it's gonna be useless um but if you're able to like stun an enemy and like make them so that they won't move for for just a second um then you can do a lot of damage with uh with some of those moves um and yeah, in terms of the difficulty spectrum, uh, it's it's hard to say because I feel like Neo Two is is a very hard game to learn. I'd, I'd be very curious to to hear your guys' thoughts of like how how you guys are jumping into it as people who don't have much experience with the first game and how that difficulty curve is for you guys. Um, because Neo One was was tough for me to get into, and yeah. fortunately, I was able to build off of that for Neo Two. I, I played a I played a ton of Neo One and um I thought it sort of like ramped up in a fair kind of way. 
Um, mm-hmm. I thought that like that first area specifically was kind of like, okay, well, this is your training wheels and you're figuring this out. You can take down this person, this person. And I did that sort of classic Soulsborne thing where I like slowly inched my way through the first area until I learned the fundamentals. Whereas Neo 2, I feel like kind of throws you off the deep end really quickly and starts throwing mm-hmm. like much harder enemies yeah. at you in almost immediately in the first area. That first um, monkey that you fight, yeah, uh, is ridiculous. Yeah, he's was he the guy, <laughs> it's like, insane. Dragging things behind him, is he that guy? Uh, no. So that that's that guy is tough too. But you can actually just completely run past that guy. You don't yeah, have you're to not. Deal that, with I don't think you're supposed to fight him at the beginning. Oh, well, I was fighting him, and I was like. Brendan was too. Damn, yeah, this, no, I think this, he's. I think he's like that guy on the st- first street in Bloodborne with the big hood and yeah. the. Oh, uh, okay, because yeah, I was. Uh... Or they put they put him there to be like, yeah, you, you want to give it a shot, right? Okay, yeah. that actually makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was but... pretty quickly. Uh, no, there's a character right after him that that the appears. First Enki yeah. is, right. is instantly like the the do or die. Like if, yeah. if you cannot get past this, you just. Just put down this game right now. <laughs> so as as a whole, do you think Neo 2 is harder than Neo 1? Uh, yes. I will say yes. But, uh, and this is something that I touch upon in the review, I feel like uh, Team Ninja's strategy with this game was to balance it by giving you something that's really helpful and then on the other side of it, making something that's really, really hard uh, that you'll have to, you know, use the the gifts that they gave that they gave you in order to deal with. Right. So for example, um, you have this new technique called a burst counter, which uh, allows you to counter enemies that have this red aura move. Um, and almost every enemy has at least one of these moves. And it's, it's ridiculous. They'll just be spamming attacks for like 30 seconds. Uh, but if you're able to time your burst counter during that, during that uh, attack, you'll be able to stop them in their tracks deal a, a good chunk of damage and also deal some stamina damage, which allows you to get a rare opportunity to deal damage that, you know, you, you wouldn't normally have. Um, and there's a bunch of other, other examples of stuff like that in Neo 2. So I think yes, but at the same time, if you're able to take advantage of some of the, the things that Team Ninja put in there for you, mm-hmm. um, I think you can probably, some people might find it a little bit easier. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. So basically, if you memorize and learn the the subsystems there, you'll have yeah. a better time at mastering this than if you just go in kind of button mash. That's kind of one of the reasons why I like I played it, but I just played a little bit. Like I played like forty five minutes an hour, right? Um, but mm-hmm. I sort of figured that what I'd do is I'd kind of wait until everyone was playing it, um, so mm-hmm. we could kind of like all learn together because it's it's. Like, it is the kind of game where you want to, like, ask someone what build they're using and, you know, you want to hear those tips and tricks and have those conversations because, um, yeah, it's kind of dangerous alone, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yes. when you don't know anything, you don't know what you're meant to be doing. If you like me, you've only played half an hour of the first game. Sweet. Well, uh, Mitchell, thank you so much for dropping by and joining us. Uh, you can go check out Mitchell's review on IGN.com or on YouTube.com slash IGN. He gave it a nine. Spoilers. Yeah. That's- also, we should we should do this more often because I miss you. Yeah, dude. So oh, Mitchell used to be in the San Francisco off, office. We would work with him and hang out with him and see him every single day. And he moved to L.A. and now we, we only see him on the, on the TVs. But yeah, we miss you, man. It's good to see your smiling Thank face. Thank you guys yeah. so much. This is my first time on Beyond, and uh, I've been, what we will we have to have been you a back. blast. We got to fix that. We'll get you on more often. Uh, see you, Mitchell. Yeah. You can follow Mitchell on Twitter. Bye, He's Jurassic Rabbit. Check out his articles if you're having uh, trouble with finding things to do in Neo. Then go check that out. Uh, you can find the rest of us on Twitter. I'm Max Scoville. Lucy is Lucy O'Brien. I am Lucy O'Brien. Luce. Luce. E. Letter E. Letter E. That's a O'Brien. Sounds-
again, phonetically, it's we just put it. We'll put it in the in the links. You guys, we have a guest. You're arguing in front of him. Sorry, mommy, daddy, please don't fight. I was just gonna wrap things up. Okay, no, let's 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 get out of here. Okay, that's that's it. Don't follow Brian. You should actually block and report Brian. Don't leave me out of this crap. Yeah, you should follow. You should you should follow me and tell your friends to follow. Crap on the show. Lucy said the S word at the beginning. Yeah, and I saw your look that you gave me. You're like, you said the S word. I I thought it was cool. Anyway, (laughs) thank you all for watching. We love you dearly. Hopefully things will be back to normal at some point. But if they're not, well, we're all in this together. Yay! Beyond! Beyond! We did it. Beyond! We are the hosts of Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are sans knowledge. I'm Yen, a reader, writer, liver, and breather of comic books. And I'm Nat, and I know absolutely nothing about comics. Which makes both of us authorities in our respective fields. Exactly. Hey, wait. On Comic Sans, I make Nat read some of my favorite comics, including Sandman Saga and Laura Olympus. And Yen tells me what makes that comic special. Then I hear what Nat thinks, and I try to avoid a pulmonary embolism. While I actively try to give him one. Listen to Comic Sans on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can already binge our first season, and we just released a special bonus episode on Across the Spider-Verse. Hey, Nat, before we go, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can tell me what Comic-Con is. Is it related to Chili Con Carn? Do you mean chili con carne? Maybe we should be chili sands.